Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. I'm Brendan Schaefer here with you on Tuesday, June 28th, the early morning hours following a Cardinals winner on Monday night at Bush Stadium. And what a night it was. We've got a lot to get to as the Cardinals had a splendid performance from Adam Wainwright as the Cardinals beat the Marlins 9 nothing. But to get to nine runs, it means you also had to have some pretty good offensive performances as well. Paul Goldschmidt and Juan Yepes leading the way for St. Louis on Monday night as far as the bats were concerned. And then a really fun moment to get to talk about. James Nail, the 29-year-old rookie pitcher making his major league debut on Monday night. Guy grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan in the boot heel of Missouri down near Cape Girardeau, Charleston, Missouri. Population just over 5,000. And it seemed like a pretty hefty percentage of those 5,000 were in the ballpark on Monday night, making the trip up to Bush Stadium to see their native son, James Neal, fulfill a lifelong dream. Really a cool moment to see at Bush Stadium. And so I'll get into my perspective on what that debut was like as the Cardinals, pretty much everything coming up rosy tonight for the Cardinals, at least in terms of what happened on the field. Of course, we've got some injury news to get into as well on this episode of the podcast. That which we feared for Jack Flaherty has, of course, come to fruition as Flaherty back on the injured list with a right shoulder strain. And then maybe some news that we didn't see coming. Harrison Bader on the IL as well with a plantar fasciitis issue for the outfielder Harrison Bader. So all of that coming up on today's episode of the podcast, but let's begin with maybe a little bit more of the positive stuff. We'll talk about the game first, and then we'll get into the injury stuff and my impressions of the Jack Flaherty situation. Some interesting comments from John Mozeliak that you may have seen on Monday afternoon. If you were scouring Twitter, Valley Sports Midwest actually tweeted out the video of what had been said. And so We'll get into a little bit of that, but more positive that we can get into from the day at the ballpark because plenty of good things happened on Monday night as the Cardinals, after a series against the Cubs in which they didn't take advantage of their opportunities, obviously Sunday you had the game where the Cardinals jump out to that 5 nothing lead, and then ultimately they're not able to hold it against one of the lesser teams in all of Major League Baseball, certainly one of the lesser teams in the National League and the fourth-place team in a pretty top-heavy Central Division in the National League Central. you got the Cardinals, you got the Brewers, and then behind those two teams, the Pirates, Cubs, and Reds, all pretty poor. Cubs, not quite 20 games below 500 right now, but they're, they're pushing for it. And the Cardinals lost an opportunity to take two out of three in that series when they fell to the Cubs 6-5 to five on Sunday. We talked about that on last night's B-Shape Daily. Make sure to scroll back in your timeline 
on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show, if you missed that one. You get my initial thoughts on Jack Flaherty, and then obviously today we'll add some more context to what we now know that we didn't know yesterday as far as the Cardinals' decision-making on Jack Flaherty. But I said we were going to talk some good stuff, and so we are. Cardinals win 9-0 over the Marlins, getting this new series off on the right foot. Marlins came into the game five games below 500. they They're now six below. Cardinals get a boost to eight games above 500. Important to go ahead and beat up on the teams that aren't as high quality, the teams that aren't as competitive. It's what they didn't do against the Cubs, but it's you start the Marlins series off on the right foot on Monday by having an offensive onslaught. Your pitchers doing what they need to do against a, a little bit of a lesser lineup. Cardinals did have a tough matchup, I would say, in terms of the pitcher on the other side. Pablo Lopez is a guy that gave them trouble when they faced him earlier in the season down in Miami. Cardinals uh, were shut out during a Pablo Lopez start. I don't believe he pitched the whole game. He didn't go nine, but he was really good. And Paul Goldsmith said tonight, you know, in that start in Miami, Pablo Lopez didn't really make any mistakes. And if he made them, they were very few and far between, and the Cardinals didn't capitalize on them. And so they were shut out in that game. Tonight was a different story, though, as the Cardinals jumped all over Pablo Lopez. It was Goldsmith doing so in the first inning with a home run off. I mean, he hit the homer off of the French fries logo, the neon signage on the facade in front of Big Macland. I don't think I'd ever seen that before. You've seen Albert Pujols take out the eye years ago when when the actual sign had individual letters on it that you could break the bulbs and the whole letter would go out. Paul DeYoung once hit a letter. He got to take that home with him. I think that might have been the M, if I'm trying to remember. So that, that kind of thing has happened before. But the French fry logo, I think, is a new one. And it wasn't a new one for long because after Goldsmith did it in the first inning, and I mean, this was a picturesque moonshot, just an absolute bomb, 19th of the year by Goldie. We'll get into his night. He had a good one. Wasn't the only one, but he had a good one. And it's so funny how we easily can come to overlook these big nights by Paul Goldschmidt because he does it all the freaking time. Like six or eight questions are asked of Oliver Marmel in the post game before anyone's like, oh, yeah, Goldschmidt, yeah, yeah, any thoughts on him? Yeah, that guy, only the best hitter on the entire planet at this point in time, 34 years old, not slowing down at all. And Adam Wainwright said tonight, you know, I actually think Paul Goldschmidt, since I first became acquainted with him, I think he's gotten better. And he said better defensively, but I mean, you look offensively, these are the, he's having a career year right now at age 34. He's always been really, really good, but Paul, what Paul Goldschmidt is doing right now is just obscene. It just doesn't, I mean, it's absolutely marvelous stuff. But he hit that home run in the first inning, so it's like, all right, Cardinals getting to Pablo Lopez a little bit. He's a guy who's traditionally not as strong in that first inning, and then he really settles in. ERA for the season under three, even after tonight when he gave up, spoiler alert, he gave up five runs in five innings. ERA goes up to 2.98 for the season, but he had been really, really good. Obviously, to get, have a bad outing like that and still keep your ERA for the year below three, it's pretty impressive. But a common characteristic of Pablo Lopez on the mound for the Marlins has been giving up runs in the first and then starting to settle into your outing thereafter. His ERA for the season over five in first innings. 
And so that's just something that you remember Carlos Martinez was kind of like that uh, before the injuries really just became too much and he wasn't effective in any inning over the last couple of years. Carlos Martinez was always that guy that if you could get him through the first inning with minimal damage, you felt like he was going to be able to traverse and, and have a nice outing from there. Well, Pablo Lopez was off to that kind of start tonight. Gave up the homer in the first inning, just a solo shot. Nothing in the second, nothing in the third. And you might have thought, well, now there he goes again. He's he's settling into the outing, and the Cardinals may have kind of missed their chance to really jump all over him. Juan Yepes said, ah, not so fast. I, I got this under control. And Juan Yepes hits the damn prize on the Big Mac facade. I've never seen it. It happened twice in one night. I'd never seen it previously, but he did. In the fourth inning, Juan Yepes three-run shot off the exact same French fries on the Big Mac Lane facade. It was absolutely hysterical and really good for the Cardinals because they take a 4 nothing lead and say, all right, we didn't let this guy off the hook. This is a guy that we, Goldsmith homers off of him in the very first inning. And then instead of uh, sort of lulling into that sleep that sometimes can happen to the Cardinals offense, where you think a day is going to be really productive offensively and then it just kind of isn't, instead of allowing that to happen, the Cardinals stayed with it thanks to Juan Yepes. Gets that big home run. And then in the fifth inning, Cardinals add one more. Paul Goldsmith doing his thing again. It's like they traded back and forth all night. Goldsmith with a double in the fifth to drive in Tommy Edmond, make it 5 nothing, and then you get more from Juan Yepes off the bullpen in the sixth inning. This one didn't hit the French fries or anything. It wasn't as cool. But he gets his first career multi-home run game in the big leagues. Two homers, five RBIs, and as we were walking into the Cardinals clubhouse, they had the TV on there in the, the little waiting room that's outside the clubhouse. And I saw in the ballet broadcast the list of players of rookies as Cardinals with two homers and five RBIs in a game. It was interesting. It was like, it happened a few times way back when, and then 1950s or so, stops happening and all, all the way up until 2015. And then I saw it happen like three or four times since then. Randall Grichik was one, Stephen Piscotty. Uh, I think I'm missing one more, but then it was Juan Yepes tonight. So relatively elite company in that it's only happened about eight or 10 times in Cardinals history. Two home runs, five RBIs by a Cardinals rookie. Really impressive stuff. And to me, what's impressive about it from Juan Yepes is that, I don't know, mentally started to kind of write him off a little bit after that really hot start to the season. Then he started to kind of taper off. You saw that OPS. It was over, you know, 900 over 1,000 at the beginning. Then it was in the 800s. And then it was down to, you know, 750, 740. And you're thinking, okay, is this a guy that the Cardinals can really uh, afford to give ample playing time to during a period where Dylan Carlson's healthy at the time, Harrison Bader was healthy, Tyler O'Neill healthy. It's like, yeah, Yepes probably gets phased out as these guys come back healthy. That started to be the thought that would creep into my mind. But you know what? Every time you go and doubt Juan Yepes over the course of his entire major league, minor league, professional baseball career, what has he done? He said, all right, I don't care. I'm going to go do it anyway. And boy, if he didn't, Tonight with the big night, two homers, five RBIs, as I mentioned, gets the OPS up now back over 800. His OPS for the season at 833, batting average at 282. He also homered yesterday, so it's three homers in two days for Juan Yepes. I mean, this guy just continues to hit. It's really impressive what he's been able to do. He fell off for a little bit, and that's going to happen, I think, for rookies, especially for guys that 
you get to a level, and it seems like it goes one of two ways for rookies, for young players, when they get to the big leagues. They either struggle right away and have to get sent back down. Dylan Carlson was that way. Lars Newbar's kind of been that way, hasn't been able to really catch on and find his stride. Or it's kind of the opposite. They they go so far above and beyond what should be possible for a rookie player, and they just go absolutely berserk right off the bat. Juan Yepes did that. Brennan Donovan did that. Uh, I would say Nolan Gorman has done that a little bit. Now he's sort of coming back down to earth, and we'll see how he responds. But Yepes has been up a little longer, and now we've already gotten the chance to see the really hot start and then kind of lull you to sleep, make you start to wonder about what this guy is at the big league level. Never said he wasn't a good hitter. Never said he wasn't going to. But was he really that kind of powerful, loud bat, and was he going to be that and sustain that at the major league level? It was kind of getting to a point where, ah, I don't know, maybe they, they he's not a defensive upside kind of guy, and so you're not putting him in the lineup for those reasons, like you would say for Brendan Donovan, he's pretty much plus wherever you put him on the field. But with Yepes, it's like if he's not hitting, that's pretty much the tool that he brings to the table, and so he's going to have to in order to justify his, his place. But he's had to make those adjustments back to the league. The league adjusted to him after it said, all right, we're tired of getting beat by this guy. How do we beat him? And then he's now making adjustments back, and you're seeing the results of that with him kind of going on this little power surge right now. It was interesting tonight. We know the relationship between Yepes and Albert Pujols is a strong one. And on the broadcast, I saw it was after one of the home runs where Albert was kind of giving some head pats to uh, to Yepes, and Yepes gives him a hug. It's a very cute relationship. Uh, Yepes called it a special relationship tonight. Uh, you can certainly see why when they show the cameras and, and get a glimpse of these two. But it's like also... Yepes is all he's he's like stuck to Albert Pujols and at some point you maybe wonder well is Albert Pujols really like that all the time like I know he's gracious about it and he's obviously been a huge help to this kid but at some point doesn't Albert maybe get a little bit tired of that and they joke about it on the broadcast Jim Edmonds said you know as if he was Albert you know you either got to put me on first base tonight or you got to send him to first base talking about Yepes get it you know get, get me away from him at some point this is not something that Albert said. It was just Jim Edmonds kind of cracking a joke about it. And lots of jokes have been made about it. But Adam Wainwright said tonight something that I thought was really interesting. Talking about the relationship between Yepes and Albert Pujols. And so maybe it's not just the fans or the broadcasters that see and kind of wonder, is that is that such a good thing? Is that all right? Is everything good there with that? Because Adam Wainwright said, I called him Albert Cito yesterday, little Albert, because they're always stuck together. But somebody goes, what do you think about this? Yepes hanging out with Albert. So evidently, Wayno was asked about it. And who somebody was, no idea. Could have been a player, could have been a, could have been a broadcaster, any, could have been anybody. But they were asking for Adam's opinion on, you know, Yepes always hanging around Albert. And he said, what are you talking about? It's amazing. That's the greatest thing that could ever happen to Juan Yepes, hanging out with Albert Pujols every day, asking him questions, getting to sponge off of one of the best hitters of all time. It doesn't get any better than that. I think that's true. And I think Albert Pujols, at this point in his career, is so gracious about that that I don't think it bothers him. I really don't. I think he is delighted for the opportunity uh, to have a guy that honestly reveres Albert in the way that Juan Yepes does. Like, I've seen that up and close and personal the way he talks about it. I think it's really cool the way Albert has taken him under his wing. Yeah, you can make a joke, maybe force forcibly so, right? 
Did he have a choice in the matter? Yeah, maybe not. But he's been really good and gracious about it. And Yepes said tonight, talking about the reason he was able to hit the second homer, his first homer off of a lefty on the season, by the way. Yepes said, I got to give credit to Albert. He said, hey, what's your plan? He told me, just stay left center and wait for that cutter and you'll hit it out. And then he did, and I, and I hit it out. So credit to him. So Albert, I mean, he's got the scouting reports. He's And that's Albert who's, who's crushed lefties, right? Especially this late stage in his career that's been an advantage for him. And so Albert's there kind of giving a little bit of a, a insight for Yepes to say, hey, if this is what the cutter does, a cutter, which not as hard of a thrower, the pitcher that was on the mound, and so it's cutting in toward your hands. You can see it a little better mid to upper 80s to pitch that you can absolutely drive. And Pujols kind of gave him the lowdown on it. And sure as shooting, he was right. So Yepes ends up with a multi-homer game for the first time in his big league career, of course, courtesy of uh, a little bit of help by Albert Pujols. It's a very valuable thing for the Cardinals to to have Albert there and uh, certainly personally for Juan Yepes, who's just 24 years old. I mean, he came, he came over to the Cardinals in that Matt Adams trade and he was a teenager at the time, and I wrote him off. I said, oh, we'll never see him. It's just a deal that the Cardinals, you know, he's not even really a prospect. It's just a guy that they they picked up. Get Albert, or not Albert, get Matt Adams somewhere else, and yeah, sure, bring this guy in. I've talked about that on B-Shape Daily before, how wrong I was. This dude is a pure hitter. It has been a phenomenal boost for the Cardinals when he's doing what he's doing with the power production at the plate this season. So I'd love to see him Keep it going, and I, and I, I heard a lot of people wonder, well, what happens when O'Neill comes back? What happens when, where's Yepes going to play? Those questions aren't even really worth pondering at this point. Like, if the Cardinals ever get to a point where literally everybody's healthy and you've got to start making some decisions, all right, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But right now, it just it's a good thing that the Cardinals have so many extra players, these young guys who have infused their talent onto this roster this year when called upon. It's a good thing they've got him because – Guys are going to continue to get hurt. It happens all the time. Bader seems like uh, sort of a, a rest precautionary thing. It's it's an issue with plantar fasciitis that has bothered him throughout the season. And uh, you haven't seen him maybe steal as many bases recently. And so just a, I think it's a case where they're going to give him a couple of weeks to to hopefully rest that up and, and allow maybe some of the pain there to be alleviated. And he'll be good to go for the stretch run. That's the hope I, w- I would think for the Cardinals at this point. But it's good to have guys like Brennan Donovan and Juan Yepes contribute the way that they have, uh, especially you consider Yepes being able to, to mix in in the outfield, which Donovan can as well. But uh, Yepes in particular, that's if he's not DHing, he's probably not playing very much first base because that's Paul Goldsmith's spot. And so uh, to be able to mix in in the outfield is is productive as well for Yepes. And if he hits, they're going to continue to find places for him to play, especially now when you know you've you've got. Options available. You've got positions that are that are vacant, and a guy that hits well is certainly a candidate to regularly fill one of those spots. So good for Yepes to, to be able to sort of bounce back after, I think for a while we started to look at him and go, well, I don't know, is is he really going to be able to do that for the, the long haul? And with what he's shown over the last couple of days, the answer to that might be yes. So we'll see what he ends up doing going forward for the Cardinals. But let's get into James Nail. Such a good story from Monday night as... 25-year-old from southeast Missouri, grew up a Cardinals fan, was drafted in the 20th round in 2015 by the Oakland Athletics, has been in minor leagues for like eight years, drafted in 2015, 
so I guess 2022, when he played in the minors this year, that was his eighth year as a minor league player. Obviously still early in the year, so really more like seven-ish years in terms of calendar. But also 2020 was completely wiped out, and so he didn't play that year because there was no minor leagues. So, but, but, I mean, this has been a guy that has been grinding away, trying to make it happen for his professional baseball career. At that point, you're 29 years old. You don't know that you're going to maybe ever get that chance. It's not a guarantee. Certainly far from a guarantee. But really cool to see is fallout from the Jack Flaherty injury, obviously, because Flaherty goes on the IL. Bader goes on the IL. They call up Connor Capel. Outfielder, 25 years old, been in the system for a while, getting his opportunity for a cup of coffee here. And James Nail as well, getting that chance after performing pretty decently, pretty solid numbers for the Cardinals in AAA this year. Uh, was signed, you know, was was not originally drafted by the Cardinals. I mentioned the A's originally had him. And spends his career in the minors, gets to sign with the team that he grew up rooting for. Said he's seen a lot of big games, a lot of big moments in Bush Stadium. And then tonight he was part of his own moment, making his major league debut on the mound. He came out after Adam Wainwright, pitches the eighth inning. Cardinals fan growing up had a poster of Adam Wainwright on his bedroom wall, which is something that he told Wainwright back at spring training. So Wayno knew about that. But really cool that he gets to follow him into this game tonight, making the debut. Estimated there was maybe a couple hundred friends and family that made the trip up from Charleston, Missouri, down to the boot heel to get to see his debut tonight. And I was making my walk around the stadium, as I often do, around the 6th, 7th, maybe the 8th inning, depending on how the game's going and, and what I can anticipate I need to get done before we go down to uh, the clubhouse for interviews. And I happened to be out there in the bleachers area when the bottom of the seventh inning ended and James Nail goes jogging out to the mound to pitch the eighth. And it's like the, the eruption, the cheering that was going on, you could just tell it was something different. And that's because most of his people were out and he said they were scattered throughout the stadium, but a lot of them were out in the bleacher area. And the the ovation this guy got just for jogging out to the mound it was really cool to see all the support there. I asked him, like, did you hear the roar? It, it had to be hard to miss. He said, oh, I heard it. Oh, yeah. And so he felt that support. He said it almost gave him confidence. It just really calmed him down to know that he had all that support there, and he definitely heard it on the way in. And uh, I've never heard a crowd so excited for a moderately routine 5-4-3 double play that ended the inning. He gave up a base hit, but he only faced three batters because uh, Arenado and Goldschmidt bookend a nice double play. Good scoop at first base by Goldie to finish that one off in the eighth. Uh, but the place went nuts. It was really cool to to kind of be out in the crowd during that. I don't know if I would have gotten the same uh, perception if I was up in the press box. And so that was really cool to see and really cool to call, uh, talk to James Nail after the game. I don't know what his future is. I don't know that he's going to be around for a whole heck of a long time. I mean, if he gets more chances to pitch in, in a relief role and he keeps getting outs, I think with the way the Cardinals bullpen has gone this year, you, you never say never about anything. This guy could, anybody could carve out a spot long-term if they if they get outs. You know, that's been uh, kind of a struggle at times for the Cardinals this season and talk about middle relief types. And so if he's somebody that can get outs, they, they won't discriminate. They're happy to have him. Uh, but generally, I, th I think with him and Capel being called up, you've got T.J. McFarland and Hennessy Cabrera on the COVID IL, and so that's why they were able to add. Um, and I, I guess I should say, technically, 
Cabrera is not on the COVID IL. He's on the IL without designation, but I, we can only talk around that for so long. Like clearly it's COVID related. Otherwise you wouldn't have been allowed to do this without DFAing anybody because the 40 man would be full. And when you're on the COVID IL, it doesn't count against uh, the 40 man roster. So that's why. But then when they come back, you may end up, you know, these guys may get DFA'd, pass through waivers. Ideally, you know, for the Cardinals sake, they, they don't get claimed and they stay, but there is always that possibility that they do get claimed. Kind of what they did with Kramer Robertson a uh, number of weeks ago when he got his debut and had a cup of coffee with the Cardinals. Passed him through waivers. He didn't clear. He ended up getting picked up by another team, and so now he's out, out of the organization. Those things happen, but I, th- I think it's about respect, too, at some point where you say, listen, a guy's like Capel's 25, James Nail's 29 years old. Like These guys uh, work for their opportunities. Uh, give them an opportunity to show what they can do. Maybe they're they're not long for the organization after that. If if they get claimed by another team, another team wants them. That that's the business. That's the way it goes sometimes. Um, but uh, certainly, be cool for Dale in particular to get to stay around. Um, a if he continues to get outs, but B because of the story of being a Cardinals fan and uh, getting to pitch for the Cardinals. Like that's a real uh, dream come true. He 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 was pretty excited talking about it after the game. It was really cool. Uh, got some quotes from him. In an article that I wrote for KMOV.com, recommend you guys check that out on Tuesday morning or afternoon whenever you get a chance to uh, get around to reading that. That would be awesome if you'd do so. Some cool stuff from uh, from James Nail and also some more on the uh, Albert Pujols-Juan Yepes relationship with a little bit from Wainwright in that article as well. But that kind of wraps up what uh, the Cardinals did on Monday night. 9-0 winners over the Marlins. That's the good, right? Goldsmith, four for four, home run, two RBIs. I don't think I actually formally said that. He did go four for four, triple shy of the cycle. His last base hit was uh, 100 off the bat, up the middle, though, off the glove of the middle infielder, sort of uh, trickled into center field. They joked with him after, you know, what would it have taken for you to get a, a triple on that? And Ollie Marmol said the outfielder would have had to fall down and stay down for Goldie to get... Uh, a triple out of that single, but four for four, really impressive stuff. Had the homer, the RBI double as well. 347 batting average for Paul Goldschmidt and uh major league leading 1071 on the OPS. So really good stuff from him tonight. But let's go ahead and do it before we get out of here, get into a little bit of the bad, which is the injuries. I mentioned Bader a little bit. I think that's one that after a couple of weeks, you'll probably see him back. They're just going to give him some time off his feet to hopefully alleviate some of the flare-up with the plantar fasciitis that he's been dealing with this season. Jack Flaherty, though, is another is another matter entirely. And it was weird. I was not at the ballpark for pregame, but I have pieced enough together to know kind of what went down. And, yeah, very, very strange situation. And it's something that I'll be writing about for KMOV. Probably not going to get it posted by Monday night slash whatever you call this time period where it's past 2 a.m. and I'm still awake recording this podcast. But sometime Tuesday, I'm going to to go ahead and put it up, make sure I've got my ducks in a row on that. But essentially, if you saw on Bally Sports Twitter the video that was posted pregame, it had quotes from, video quotes from John Mozeliak and Jack Flaherty as well. And Mozeliak said at one point uh, a quote that I'm sure he wishes he had back where he was talking about the Cardinals' decision to 
call up Flaherty when they did. Remember, he had two rehab assignments, and it was time to go to a third one. Ollie Marmol had already said that week that he would have a third one. He was going to pitch for Memphis. But instead, next thing you know, he's getting called up on that Wednesday to pitch against the Pirates at Bush Stadium. It was June 15th. And for a team that had so carefully managed and organized the rehab process for Jack Flaherty all the way back to mid-March when he got the PRP injection to months later when he finally starts a rehab assignment, he was going through training regimens and strengthening protocols and all sorts of workouts to get the shoulder stronger before they rushed him into rehab assignments. It was a very, very slow buildup. Plyometrics, all these different ways of trying to strengthen the, the muscle group in that shoulder so they could avoid another trip to the injured list. And then after two rehab assignments and a total of seven innings, somehow they're convinced otherwise to just bring him back up. It, I mean, there's some dissonance there that I do think needs to be reckoned with. And that's why when John Mozeliak had media availability before the game on Monday, he was asked about it. And he said a lot of it's based on the feedback you're getting from the athlete. He said Jack Flaherty felt good. All that. And so they, the team, which we already knew this, we knew that Flaherty very much wanted to pitch in St. Louis, didn't want to do another rehab start. But that led to John Mozeliak saying, ultimately, it's not our decision. We laid out a plan. The plan was deviated, and here we are. Now, there were evidently other quotes later on. Mosdalek was asked again for clarification on what he said there, and he said, ultimately, it is the team's decision, the front office's decision to activate the player. But, the, I mean, the quote was tweeted out by Bally Sports based on the feedback you're getting from the athlete, and ultimately, it's not our decision. And so that's a little bit inflammatory. I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to throw Mo under the bus. I'm not trying to do anything here. You read that quote, it speaks for itself. It really does. If you if it's not how you felt, uh, guard your you got to guard your words a little better because that's obviously be, going to become a thing. It's going to become a moment that's talked about, and that's what happened today on social media on Twitter, where you've got Jack Flaherty on the other side saying, you know, I wouldn't change anything about it. We handled it the right way. We approached it the way that we needed to. Everybody from the training staff to the organization, it's just, it didn't work out. But but Flaherty, in, he, to a T, he was very diplomatic. Even if he feels differently, even if Flaherty feels any other way, which I don't know why he would, because he was the one pushing to have that start happen in Pittsburgh and to come back when he did. And then, of course, you say, well, he didn't get hurt right away. Well, we don't really know, but he was obviously not effective. He was not Jack Flaherty in any of the three starts that he had. And then that all came to a head on Sunday when he only pitched two innings, left the game after 49 pitches. Clearly something was wrong, and you're now you see right shoulder strain. He's on the injured list. Out for, don't ask. If he pitches again this year, I would say that's a win. I'm sure he will, though. I'm sure he's going to come back and, and make an effort to do that. Short of this week, they say, ah, just kidding. Uh, it's actually surgery time. For Flaherty, that doesn't seem to be the plan for right now, and so they're hopeful to to be able to to move him along. The problem is you lose a whole season that way, and then let's say down the road you do need a surgical intervention, shoulder that's over a year recovery. At that point, I mean it's conceivable that Flaherty doesn't pitch for the Cardinals again because he's a free agent after next year. So I'm not saying that's where we are with this, but 
certainly uh, you you got to enter it into your mind, I think, at this point. Anything you get from Flaherty this year, that is classified as a bonus. It has got to be classified as a bonus, which means, yes, John Moselak does need to go out and trade for a starting pitcher at some point, barring Palante just continuing to be great, Libertor coming up and being just exceeding expectations for what a rookie could conceivably do. Like, both of those things would need to happen, and everybody else would need to stay healthy. All those things seem pretty unlikely. I was asked today, though, would you trade Matthew Libertor for Frankie Montaz from the Oakland Athletics? And I thought about it for a while. I said if they did make this trade, it wouldn't be like I would get my Twitter fingers out and say, oh, it's the worst deal. It's terrible. I can't believe they did this. But I don't think I would do it. Right now, my inclination is just to call up Matthew Libertor and see what he can do at the big league level. Because if he's even 80% of what Montas is, which Montas has been pitching very well this season, pitched really well last season, but if Libertor is even 75 80% right now of what Montas at 29 years old is, then I can bet you Libertor is probably going to be able to, to approach that caliber of starting pitcher down the road. And by the way, you've got him for six years of team control. Like he's he's free. He doesn't cost you very much money. And in an environment where you're wanting the ownership to spend on on positions of need, like if you've got the answer right here in house, wouldn't you want to know it? And so that that's where I fall down on that issue. But I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. Montas has been the guy that's been talked about when Sean Maniah was traded from Oakland at the beginning of the season. He went to the Padres. It's it's been Montas ever since. Is are they going to trade him? What's Oakland going to do with him? Clearly, you could see a fit with the Cardinals at this point. But I don't know if I'd be willing to give up Libertor to make it happen. If that's uh, the case, I imagine Libertor will end up pitching in this rotation within the next week or so. Now that Flaherty's out, so unless you bring Jordan Hicks back and you slot him right back into the rotation, which I wouldn't do, I would I would build him up, let him be a multi inning reliever type in the bullpen. See where you go from there. When Jordan Hicks is back healthy, ready to go, I know he's been rehabbing. But yeah, for Flaherty, it's a weird deal to hear Mosellac say, well, ultimately it's not our decision. Here's my thing. If behind closed doors, the Cardinals felt in any way strong-armed by Flaherty's resistance toward another rehab start, which by the way, the Cardinals cannot force Flaherty to continue or begin or anything related to a rehab assignment. He, He has to agree to it. And so if at that point he said, I'm not agreeing to it, put me back in St. Louis, which I don't know that that's what he said. I don't know if it was that forceful, but clearly that was kind of the impetus behind what he was wanting at the time. And they said he he wants that challenge of getting the intensity up at the big league level. It's an intensity that you cannot replicate in AAA. And so that's what he wanted. How resistant the team was to that, I don't think we'll ever know. They certainly went along with it publicly at the beginning. They said, yeah, this is this is good. We're all on the same page. It didn't seem as though there was any controversy here. It seemed a little weird that they would bring him back that quickly, sure, given how gosh darn careful they had been prior to that point. You could make an argument that it was a little bit interesting at the very least. But even I said at the time, 60 pitches of Flaherty, if that's all you're getting, I'd rather have him in St. Louis than in Memphis because right now the rotation needed him. That, that's what the case was at the time. Hudson had just had like a seven-run outing. Zach Thompson had just had like a five-run outing two days prior. They needed help in the rotation. They needed answers. And if Flaherty could, could help stabilize that unit, by all means, I was for it. 
I didn't I didn't have an issue with it. So I'm not going to give you hindsight and say it was a bad idea. Sometimes you make a decision as a as a team or an organization it doesn't work out. It doesn't mean it was necessarily the wrong decision. In this case, I don't know what it was. Only Jack Flaherty can really know. Hey, was I being honest with the team about where my where I my body felt like I was? Was all that on the up and up? Flaherty said today, yes, everybody was on the same page and there was open, honest communication. That's all you can ask for. And maybe it just didn't pan out. Could Flaherty have gotten, Ali Marmel made this point, could Flaherty have gotten hurt the same way at AAA if you'd stayed down there a couple more times? Sure. You know, we'll never know what the outcome would have been, but a decision was made, move on from it. But it's just weird to me that Moselak didn't present it that way. Ultimately, it's not our decision. Because what that does when you say something like that is it, it from the benefit of hindsight, you can say, well, you know, it wasn't really our decision. That's not that's not the approach to take. I and again, maybe he misspoke. I know he he clarified his account of that later on. And so if that's a phrase he wishes he could take back, totally understandable. We all say stupid stuff. I say stupid stuff all the time. Sometimes I say something that comes out as mumbo jumbo, and you know what I do? I pause the recording of this podcast, delete it, and I say it again. He doesn't have the luxury of doing that, sitting in the Cardinals dugout with half a dozen cameras in his face. You know what I mean? So give the guy a little grace. I I think we should generally give people grace. That's a good thing to do. But at the same time, we can still kind of dissect what he said and recognize that, yep, that's probably not great for, uh, for this situation. Adds a little bit of fuel to a fire that I didn't even know was burning. Didn't even realize there was going to be a controversy about this, but uh, the cat was kind of out of the bag on on things at that point. Like I said, Flaherty played it very diplomatically. Uh, you know, he finds out Mo said what, you know, and, and at that point I'm sure there's a conversation that's like, you know, what's going on here? Uh, it probably doesn't feel great. And so, yeah, something of note. It was the most noteworthy thing to happen uh, before, before the events of the game on Monday, and... I don't know what it all really means in the end. Like, it, it, what kind of impact does it have? I mean, none. Jack Flaherty's on the injured list right now anyway. Maybe next time they decide to be a little bit more cautious with him. But at the same time, they were cautious with him up until they got into the rehab starts, and then they kind of threw that to the wind. What What's noteworthy, though, is that, like I mentioned, Flaherty does not have to accept that assignment to remain on a rehab tour wherever he is, Springfield, Memphis, whatever. He does not have to accept that. And he, he can put an end to it, which maybe is what he did. But the Cardinals also don't have to turn around and say, okay, we'll placate you, we'll we'll activate you. If they had doubt in their heart of hearts that he was ready, you don't do that. You don't activate it. But it's just so hard to tell because I'm not saying they did have those doubts. We're just kind of, it's an if-then sort of proposition. The way Mosellock talked, at least in some of his quotes, what was tweeted out by Bally Sports, it seemed like, they weren't fully on board, but that's not the story that we got previously, uh, nor is it, I, it may not even, to me, it's probably not the truth. I imagine the team was on board, and that's why I don't like the comments from Mo, because it's like, in retrospect, you're saying, well, now that we've seen, now that we've got the hindsight, and we know that it didn't work out, the guy's not healthy, you know, I can paint it as, you know, he kind of forced our hand. I don't really know that that's what he was trying to do. I know that he clarified the comments later, but like I said, those those kind of comments do speak for themselves. And uh, listen, if you felt the player was forcing your hand, you had options. Were they comfortable options? Absolutely not. Nothing about that would be comfortable if your player says, 
I need to be at the big leagues right now. I'm not going to throw in Memphis again. Nothing you can do about it. And you say, well, you're right, but we also don't have to activate you. Like that kind of standoff could have happened if the Cardinals felt it was necessary. I don't think they felt that it was. Otherwise, you'd think they would have done it, unless they just thought the PR from a situation like that would have been so difficult to manage that they just didn't want to go through it. And they said, okay, fine, we'll call them up. But I think they, you don't flippantly make a decision like that with an asset, with a player of Jack Flaherty's caliber who has been through these health concerns, who they've been, they've, they've strained going all the way back to 2020 to try to keep this guy healthy. Remember how slowly they brought him along in that COVID year? Like they've always been careful with this, with this player because they want him to be healthy. It just, for various reasons, has not worked out for him physically, and he's not been able to stay on the field. But I don't think that that means, you know, the Cardinals suddenly were willing to get flippant and get reckless with a situation that they didn't trust. I think they trusted the situation, and then in hindsight, it felt like something worth saying that, ah, well, you know, it wasn't really our decision. I don't really like that. I don't think that's accurate either. Um, Obviously, it was, you're the front office. You are the president of baseball operations. Uh, That's why they give you the fancy title. And so I, I think that's just a, a situation that, at the very least, could have been handled better today, could have been handled better on Monday. I'm, again, I'm not making the suggestion that the Cardinals were wrong to bring Flaherty up when they did. I was okay with it at the time, and so I'm not going to be able to go Captain Hindsight and say they should have done this, this, or this when i got to be intellectually honest with myself. At the time, I thought, yeah, makes sense if he says he's ready and if they believe he's ready. So... We'll see what the fallout ends up being from that. Really, it's just Flaherty's going to be out for a number of weeks, probably another month, and then they're going to see if they can ramp him back up. That's going to kind of be your last gasp, though, at it, right? Like, if if you go another round and it doesn't work, I don't see how you avoid surgery at that point, but they're at least the way they're talking, and maybe they're just getting their ducks in a row. But right now, they sound optimistic, hopeful at the very least that that's not going to be the case. Uh, Flaherty said, I will pitch again. Uh, Presumably, he meant this year, so... We'll see what ends up happening, but for right now, not great news for the Cardinals as they're going to have to try and uh, muddle their way through with without Flaherty again for a, a length of time, just as they've been doing so far this season. But, hey, you know what? They got a good start from Wainwright on Monday. It's one that they really needed. They've, they've dealt with a lot of injuries. This team has had some injuries. You've seen Alex Reyes go down, Jordan Hicks for a period of time, Steven Matz, Yachty's had his injuries, Bader, O'Neal, Carlson was on the injured list. I mean, they've they've had more than their fair share at this point. So good to see a guy like Wainwright be able to lock it down. Good to see the offense come through. And James Nail, of course, uh, getting to have that magical debut. So pretty good night at the ballpark, all things considered. Uh, maybe the, the afternoon period could have gone a little differently, and I don't think John Mazalik would have minded. But uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. So, hey, we'll be along here with B-Shave Daily as uh, the weeks move on and the season continues on. And so I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening, checking out the podcast. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Apple Pods, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well. Appreciate you guys. Once again, my voice is tired. I'm heading off to bed. It's 3 a.m. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.